watch the mallards gliding on the water. The water is so still that their gliding is creating the ripples. Mm. You know, what creates the ripples? So then that begs the question, you know, when, when water is turbulent, when it's already churned up and the ducks are gliding, what sort of impact do they make in that moment? Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. So look at this towpath behind us and we'll try all over again. Oh, right? This is the Delaware towpath. There used to be donkeys that pulled boats yes. of stuff. Yeah. Long days, I think they said from 4 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. It was a hard job work, working here, mm. taking coal down um, this towpath. But for Sherry and I, the hardest thing we have to carry is this camera. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tow down the path. We're going to tow it down. Yes. Tow it down the line. We're going to tow it down. So we are out in nature and prepping for a winter wander in wonder walk. And yep, we know. Yeah. It's a lot of W's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonder, wander, wonderful, wistful. I mean, it's all the W's. Whoa, just feels so good to say. Yes. And what's really great is it's warm. <sighs> so let's walk. Yeah. There's something when there's a dim grayness that the colors just pop. I know. I mean, I think that as I pause, I really can see that mixture of the yellow floating on the green grass. Mm -hmm. So we see all of these different shades and it's so interesting how a cloudy day just completely changes the vision to see things that are obscured in the bright sunny light. And that reminds me of the walk that we did last Wednesday in Five Mile Woods because we started our walk and it was sunny and it was kind of bright. We could follow the west because we could see the ball of fire in the sky. And the sense of wonder was beckoning us from the, the details in some ways. You know, the branches, you could see the little offshoots of tinier branches and buds and the things on the ground and the seed pods and, you know, all of the different silhouettes of the trees against the sky and all, but you could, the silhouette maybe came a little bit later, but the details, the, at least for me, I, the wondrous part of that was seeing nature in, in its finer places. But by the time we left and the sun had gone down, our eyes had acclimated to the evening. 
our, our night vision had already had become activated almost organically because we didn't go from light to dark. We went from light to a very a gradient darkness. It was just a very subtle experience. But by the time the sun went down, the sense of wonder didn't wane, another W, but what it did was I felt I was more called less to the details than to the overall experience, the feeling, and maybe in terms of what we talk about, more of the collective. You know, the daylight brought in the individuality of the different trees and species of things and the water and the, you know, little formations of ice and all of those really intricate things that make up the individual. But at the nighttime, this idea of silhouette, like I'm looking even now at the trees against the sky. Yes, I can see the feathery parts of the branches as they kind of are foreground, but there's more of a sense of wholeness than the parts. And that was the wondrous part for me at the end of that walk. And I, I didn't realize that until I looked back on it and realized like wandering in wonder, it's not just a marketing term. It's not just a title that we call it. It's, it's the call to action. Wander in wonder. And the other call to action is to notice what you notice. And why are you noticing this versus that? And in my walk in Five Mile Woods, both for our wander in wonder walk, but also in the preparation, I found myself on different days being attracted to different things to notice. One day on my walk, I noticed lichen and mushrooms and how the fallen trees all turned into little micro communities. So the service of the tree, even though it had fallen, still is in service. I'm going to ask you a question. What is lichen? I've heard you say that before. I know what mushrooms are and I know what the other, like the chicken of the forest kind of stuff on the trees, but what is lichen? Lichen is another growth. It's usually green or white that Let's see if we can find some. We will find some on this walk. But I don't know specifically, like in terms of bi biology, what I would call lichen. But if you've ever walked and you see on the side of a tree, you'll notice that there's this green covering or a white that sits on the branches. Let's see. If I always I just thought that was moldy. Come <laughs> closer. Let's see. So for those of you who are watching, we're giving a visual. For those of you who are listening, we have Google. <laughs> we have guests. So you can look up lichen and you know, lichen might just be Teresa's term for what she sees. <laughs> no, no, I mean, is it L-I-K-E-N, L-I-C-H-E-N? L-I-C-H-E-N, lichen. Oh, crystally beautiful. Yeah. Oh. But then again, there's something different to notice. On another walk, I noticed the cracks of all the trees that had fallen over. Mm. You know, how they splinter as they fell and all of the beautiful shapes and they uncover their, their inside landscape. When the tree falls and you look down into it, it uncovers all of the different layers of the years gone by. Noticing what we notice. Why one day do I notice what grows out of the trees? And the next day, notice the cracks that ultimately brought them to the ground. Yeah. Wow. So what does all of this have to do with yoga? Yoga 8, this, this season of yoga that we're putting out there and 
sharing is someone left a little poopy dog bag and I hope they're coming back for it. But you know, we talk about living our yoga. We talk about it as a lifestyle. And I know I've often talked about the formal practices and bringing that, you know, the attention to it, that yes, once we kind of move through our formal practices, there's a natural offshoot. There's an organic expression that begins to happen that is the living of the yoga. And I feel even now as we're walking slowly, that there was, I know we talked about patience last time. I had a little impatience the first time we stopped. I'm like, let's fucking get going. Let's keep moving. Why are we stopping? And then we stopped and I'm listening to Teresa and I'm thinking, oh, that's why that's the yoga. It's the pause. It's the spaces in between. So as we're walking and Teresa's holding the camera facing outward, you know, we, what do we see? She's asking us to, you know, see where our attention takes us. But also we get to feel the ground beneath our feet and it's changed quite a bit because of the weather there was a lot of mud back there and it was squishy but because of where we are maybe there's a little more cover here i don't know why but the ground is a little more firm and it's catching my steps as they're falling rather than allowing my steps to fall into the the creases of the mud but so we get to see oh it just and this is our backyard this is the thing that keeps bringing me back to the work that we're doing is that this, this idea that we need to travel far or go a distance in order to experience something magical. You know, Dorothy had to go to Oz. You know, she had to do all of that stuff to realize that she never had to leave at all. That this is two minutes from my house. This is almost my backyard. And it is so beautiful and so magical. And each day, each season, it offers new gifts. And so that's the living of the yoga piece right now in this moment. And that where, when Teresa asks us, you know, where we're focus is, what is, or what draws the attention, if we sit with that and allow ourselves to marinate and connect and focus on the thing for a little while, that is, that's our single point of focus. That's, we're not, we haven't gotten to there yet, but it's a meditation. It takes us from the physical body into something other that now we get to try to figure out the language around that. Yeah, taking it outside into a practice of mindfulness, a practice of noticing. Maybe we even stop. I often am out walking in the woods on the towpath and I'll stop and maybe practice a little bit of asana to limber up my body for the walk. Or at other times, like the other day, I was walking through Five Mile Woods by myself on New Year's Day, and I found myself singing and chanting. I just broke into song, <laughs> which was good because there's nobody else there, so they didn't have to listen to my chant, but I filled the woods with chanting the mantra, Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu, and I just walked and chanted. But you don't have to pick a mantra. Maybe you walk and sing your favorite song or dance along the trail or stop and um, whatever other joyful expression that you have when you're out in nature. Not everybody has a mantra or a mudra practice, but almost everybody has a favorite song. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wanted to just go off of what you said about not having to have your own mantra and the whole singing thing because I had a teacher whose teacher really liked Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and took the mantra Om Mani Padme Hum, 
there's different ways of doing it. Omane, um, Padme, hung, hum, hum, whatever. But they did it to find the cost of freedom, which was Omani, Pammy, hung, Omani, Pammy, hung. And then you do the whole thing. And so I thought, oh, I asked my teacher, can you change, you know, the tunes to these ancient, you know, mantras and these Sanskrit uh, mantras? And she said, just don't change the Sanskrit, but you can put it to any tune you want. I mean, people make up tunes all the time. So I started listening to the radio and I was hearing mantras through different songs. And you know, one of the songs that Larry from the Prancing Peacock used every time I'd walk in, Sherry Baby. So I thought, Oh, money, Pammy, hung, money, Pammy. Like you could totally have fun with that. So, you know, if you have a favorite song and then a mantra comes in, try to put it to some rock and roll, put it to a ballad, do something that makes it personal for you so that you are practicing your yoga, you know, but you're not, you're not abolishing or, you know, sort of abandoning the, the origin story either. You're honoring the ancient and bringing in the new. Yeah, it's all vibration. And if the vibrations are going out into the universe, make them as fun and peppy and happy as <laughs> you want them to be. Or whatever mood is the mood with which you want to sing, chant, and maybe get up and dance. Now I, on the other hand, just started singing. I don't even know if it has a song. I was just walking going, Loka Samasta. Suki no Bhavantu. So if you know a song that has that rhythm and melody, let me know. <laughs> I'm going to move you over to look at these beautiful reflections oh, yeah. to give privacy to the people who are moving, uh, walking by. But just, oh, this might be a good pause to just take a breath in. Oh, watch the mallards gliding on the water. The water is so still that their gliding is creating the ripples. You know, what creates the ripples? So then that begs the question, you know, when, when water is turbulent, when it's already churned up and the ducks are gliding, what sort of impact do they make in that moment? But when things are still and there's just the smallest little thing that can create, that can create the moment, that can create the meaning, that can churn the waters, you know, one is not better than the other, but it does beg the question, you know, how much do we need, how much effort do we need to make in order to create a ripple? So if we're in a very loud world, how do we get ourselves heard? You know, it's when we get still and silent that, that those answers may arise. There may not be a right answer or a best answer, but, or maybe there's always a best answer. It just might not be right or wrong. I don't know. I'm just looking at the water and it's taking me places. I was hoping for some simple answers to questions like I thought, Heck, if I just go out and walk in nature, all the things I need answers for are just going to come, right? Because nature is healing and there'll be an answer there. It took me a while to realize that the answer isn't coming flying in just because I stepped outside. It's just creating the mindset of calm, peaceful presence uh. and creating space so that maybe I will come up. <laughs> You have to know the questions first, some, though. Yes, like, what's the question? What the Sometimes question? I don't even know the question to ask. I know that there's an answer somewhere, but what is the question? You know, what is the why? What is, you know, underneath the need to know or the desire to know? Is there really a question? Or is it just something else? Yeah. And even when the question is clear and you're like, oh, I'm sitting with this, I'm ruminating over this thing or that decision, 
and you walk out, maybe you have a question. But my over-enthusiastic thought was, hey, if I just go for a walk, all will be clear, a miracle will happen. <laughs> I'm going to have some amazing epiphany, and boom, I'm walking in with the best possible solution. But really, I walked in with calm and peace and a state of mind that was open and receptive to looking at it from many different possibilities and an awareness that there isn't always just one answer or one solution. So what is the phrase? I walked out into the woods to lose my mind and find my soul. Don't know who to quote with that, but I know that it's on a bumper sticker, so somebody <laughs> else wrote it. <laughs> oh, that's great. I think if we just remain curious, then whatever questions or answers are out there will reveal themselves. And some of them are rhetorical questions. Some of them just are there to land and be almost like a Zen koan. Like the Zen koan that I just read about that kind of has kept me up at night lately is to try to imagine, is it your face or your mother's face before your mother was born? You know, what is that? What is the face of, of that person? It's, is it an ancestor? It's you. No, it's who were you before any of the causes, I mean, but where were the causes and conditions for your birth to begin with? They'd already been set in motion. It just, it's one of those unanswerable things that allows you to kind of move out of habitual thinking so that whatever's fresh can arise. And I think that's, that comes from still water. You know, even the tiniest little pebble drop, the tiniest feather that moves on the water can create that ripple effect. And so, you know, is it the question, is it the answer, or is it just being curious and open to the world as it shows itself? You know, for no judgment, it's not about saying, oh, that's good, like, look, it, this is beautiful what we're looking at. And it's beautiful in every season. Oh, the land has just switched again. We're back in squishy, squishy <laughs> mud. The feet beneath, the ground beneath us has changed which is so interesting because the surrounding trees are all bare. So it's not like there's a lot of tree coverage that's gonna keep some parts less wet. Like why is this so much muddier than where we just were? That's a question I wanna know the answer to. If you know the answer, why the water is in one spot and not the other, uh, anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com is where you send that answer. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, you know, usually if we're here in Are they, is that a warning sound? Or is are they greeting song? us? Or is it like, come, come hither? <laughs> so amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna have lots of mud into my, all of the uh, tread on the bottom of my <laughs> shoes. I do wanna stop and kind of bring your attention. This is, you know, kind of the power of coming to the same places over and over again. You mentioned that we're in our own neighborhood, but right here, Maybe you'll see the arched branches over the water in the summer when the weather is really warm or on a beautiful sunny day. That log is usually filled with turtles sunning themselves. So let me, now we get to see. And if see. you're not looking and you can't see it, imagine a very still, long canal of water host to many different varieties of species and flora and fauna, and that at different times, different things are revealed. So if you can't see what we're actually looking at, 
close your eyes and just imagine that there's a log that has fallen onto the water that the surface part is still above the water and that when turtles hatch they lay their eggs and they you know hatch and we have all these little baby turtles on that we get to see at different times of the year i don't remember when that time of year is it spring is it whatever but when you walk like you said in the same places you see these things and you can see and feel the rhythms of nature and that goes back and reminds me of two things if you do want to see go over to our youtube channel mm -hmm. because we are adding these videos in there as well. So if you're curious and your imagination yes. needs a little boost, just head on over there and have, have a look. But while Sherry was talking, I was reminded of her talking about how you don't have to go far from your own neighborhood. And that's the thing about nature is that it is everywhere. And even if it's a tree, I'm looking for the, the mallards. The mallards. They don't usually come till springtime. That I know. You know, you don't have to go far from home. A tree outside your apartment or a walk in a city park, a towpath, or just a walk around any block. You're still outside in nature. There's always, always some treasures to find if we are looking for them. The mallards seem to be behind. Mm -hmm the log, so I'm going to give you a full view. We call it an establishing shot. Yeah. Oh, so that, that you can see what is all around. So when we go in close, you have a sense of space and orientation to space, which is uh, something Teresa leads us in, this beautiful practice of orientation to place, which is something we should all do. We should all know whose land we're on. And, you know, even saying that, it sounds kind of funny, like whose land, as if anyone ever owned the land. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this illusion that we own, the, you know, the land that we're on. I mean, yeah, for the time that we're here, but like everything, there's a cycle, there's a rhythm. And we're not always the star of that. But we get to dive in uh, to a deeper understanding of our ancestral roots depending on how far you want to go back in your history. My ancestral roots can stop at my parents or move to my grandparents, my great-grandparents. And where did they come from? So this orientation to place really enriches the history of, um, of our walk. It enriches the experience to just think of all the other steps that came across this towpath. Remember earlier on when we started talking, little barge, well, I shouldn't say little, barges were pulled by mules and humans who worked the towpath to move up, oh, we have people coming, to move coal and iron from, I believe, New York to Philadelphia. So there was a lot of work, a lot of activity. Today there's a lot of activity here on the towpath because it is uh, January 2nd that we're out doing this walk. And because New Year's Day was on a Sunday, many people are off, so everybody is out enjoying nature. But I do want to step across the towpath for a second and see if I can zoom in and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but look at the lichen on the tree. So we can see that beneath the trunk, uh, down at the roots, there's all that moss. 
but it is my understanding, and I could be wrong, that this green that we're seeing is the lichen. And sometimes I notice it as white, and it's kind of far away. So, you know, I could be right, I could be wrong. But really, the important question is, what do you see in the markings of that tree? Mm. What do you notice? What does it remind you of? And that's living our yoga, is taking a moment to pause and just really, Sherry was talking the other day about, you know, standing in her mountain pose, just coming to mountain and experiencing the pose fully as part of her practice. And maybe another part of our practice is to learn to pause, notice, ah, be curious, and then be okay with the practice of non-attachment as we continue to move on. <sighs> so the other day when I was doing my sadhana in the morning, I opened the windows, the shade, so that I can see the nature <laughs> around me, that I don't have to be in the nature, but I'm, I'm part of the nature. And to the right, there's a tree outside my bedroom window that I look at every day when I sit in meditation. And yesterday, it had these little, I think it was yesterday, it had these little tiny, like, ice balls. They Obviously, I mean, it was like had been wet and they had frozen. So there was this reflecting and refraction and refracting of light from the sun. And they were so sparkly and so beautiful. So I did some practices of twists and I was looking to the right. And then when I looked to the left out of that window, I saw the pond across the street. So the water element in a very different way than it was from the little ice little ice crystals on the tree. But I was able to kind of be with both different expressions of the water element. And what that happened as I was sort of doing my practice. Hey, how are you? Uh, they're coming. So as I was doing some mantra, I did the Tatva Masi, which is I am that, and So Hum, which is a similar energy. Something different happened than other times that I've done that. And I've been doing that for a while now. And that was that I didn't just say, I am that and see a tree and I am that and see the sky and I am that and see the mud or the birds or whatever the actual definition of the thing was. But when I looked at the tree and I'm looking at this tree here, which is just unbelievable, I didn't see it as a defined, uh, predefined thing, a tree. I saw it as the molecules that made up the tree. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, so those are molecules. I am also made of molecules. And so there's a, a different Oh, I, you could say you could go around. We were trying to move out of your way. Yeah, that's okay. Plenty of room. <laughs> okay, I had a moment where I stopped living my yoga. So there was this idea of the molecules. And then I had this vision of this primordial goo that was just kind of all molecules. And then I imagined this unseen force forming things out of the same pool, out of the same thing of molecules. And that one thing ended up looking like something we called a tree and something else looked like something we called a human and something else, the floor that I was standing on, something else, the crack in the floor, not just the things themselves, but the spaces in between the molecules and all of the things that you know, are almost unfathomable. But in that moment, and again, it's just a glimpse. It's not like I'm walking around feeling that kind of connection all day long, every day. But in that moment, I felt a very potent and clear connection that we were all made of the same stuff. I don't think we're all the same. We are individuals who have our personalities and our flavors and our, all the stuff that we bring to the world. 
but that ultimately if we were to kind of all return to that primordial goo of molecules, we could be reformed in different shapes. We could be adding on different things, but that we would create one big thing, just one big thing. But instead of one big thing, we're doing lots of little things out of the same stuff. Oops. Hmm. But is our one big thing the collective? Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, that's so what I'm talking. Yeah, big thing. yeah. <laughs> it's all of us. It is that, and that's the kind of I think you know when you're there's a search for enlightenment, like which is this big thing, like all of a sudden you're going to walk around enlightened. Maybe that's true for some people. Maybe the Dalai Lama has that experience. Maybe there are people who live that kind of consistent glow of understanding and knowing. I've met some people in my life who are so much further down the path that I could almost experience their glow you know, that they, that knowing. But for me, this little householder yogi who's just trying to figure her shit out every day and, you know, keep, keep my head above the still and turbulent waters, those glimpses are treasures. Those glimpses are reminders and they say, okay, that is possible. It may not be possible to sustain in every moment, but the fact that I could feel it in that, in that moment was enough. It was enough to sustain the curiosity of the existence of this oneness that I keep trying to, you know, paint a picture of or write a song about or write a poem about or somehow express through my asana or somehow, you know, what is the purpose? I guess the big question is why? Why are we in these bodies if not to experience the sensations of being alive? And you know, I was writing, I think, in the newsletter the other day and this, it, it struck me, certain downloads that come in and as we're in nature, it, it kind of feels appropriate to, to, re, to restate, to repurpose, is that, you know, when the elements of nature infiltrate our senses, when they really come into the, our sense of smell and taste and feeling and sound and all of that, the world, as big or as small as our worlds are, become very personal. But then when our senses infiltrate and connect to the larger elemental piece, that's the connection to that collective, to that divine, to that it becomes much bigger, but also in a strange way, differently manageable. Yeah, like in the first season when we talked about enlightenment as the fifth kosha, is that we weren't on this journey to find enlightenment, but more to notice those moments of joy and bliss that mm -hmm. touch our lives even if in the most briefest of moments, when we start to have these practices, when we talk about living yoga, taking it off of the mat or out into nature, yoga naturally, uh, it isn't that we're always going to be an enlightened being. Sometimes somebody who has a big space behind us walks right in front of our camera. Right. <laughs> and we have that little challenge <laughs> of going, what was that? Hmm, I don't really understand this. <laughs> oh my God. However, then we can take a breath and realize, okay, okay, we yeah. don't have to judge. We can just move right on. Yeah. But yes. it can sometimes be a moment. And I paused here to talk about this because I really wanted to see if I could get this close up look of the lichen that's living on that tree. That I just always called that mold. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that it has a name. Well, I'm going to say that one of us is right. <laughs> oh, no, I have no, no illusions. It could I... be mold or lichen oh. because I think that there's also moss, so I could be calling moss lichen as well. But either way, 
there's these beautiful, tiny, itsy bitsy little blue flowers. Uh, I call them flowers as I get close, which is really hard see, to see. I love see. that you see blue. I see green. I see uh, kind of a blue green, but. It's just, that's, you know, hey, that's the beauty of life, is that, yeah. and that's personal. It's personal what we so, see and how we see it. When we notice that that tree has fallen to the earth, that is no longer attached, it's just leaning up against this support tree. It's still life to, still life to some beings. Oh, my sweet love. Hi, you want to practice with us? Are you friendly? Can I put my hand down? Hi, beautiful. Oh, look at you. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where we were. You were looking at the lichen. Oh, yeah, so we... We saw some lichen, we talked about some lichen. Yeah, and listen, I know enough about nature to kill us all right now, as I like to say. So when I just, you know, they say your brain makes sense of things that it doesn't always know how to make sense of. So for me, it looked like mold, so I called it mold, which has absolutely zero rooting in anything real, except mm -hmm. for it was my imagination. And I can't imagine you made up lichen, because what a thing to make up. <laughs> yeah, I know that I didn't make up lichen. Uh -huh. I'm just not 100% sure what I labeled lichen. Oh, I see. I I'm going to move this so you don't have. <laughs> yes. I'm just not sure that what I labeled as lichen right. is actually lichen, but in I Teresa's world it is. I trust your judgments and all the mm. things that you've experienced and absorbed. You know, I, sometimes sorry. when I've uh, looked back out at kind of the forest, the woods, when all the trees and all the underbrush becomes bare and I can see the floor kind of, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say, oh, no, I'm not even going to say that word. I'm going to say decorated with the fallen trees and the debris that is hidden in a lush summer forest. At first, I would be taking photos and going, ooh, let me see if I can get that out of the way or let me see if I can make that look prettier. But look at how amazing the winter woods really, really are. So if you're not, yeah, and winter different in different places. I have a sister in Los Angeles whose winter looks very different than our winter in Pennsylvania. It looks very different than the winter, which is summer, where my cousin is in Australia. So like, if you're not watching this, you don't have to be to know what a winter forest looks like. You know, you could go out in your backyard or wherever you are and find a tree and see that kind of experience. Now, I didn't, I lived in New York City for a lot of years and I love it so much. Please don't ever ask me to choose between the country or the, the city because mm -hmm. I won't. I love them both for very different reasons and for similar. But it wasn't until I moved out of the city after 17 years that when we were looking for a house, that I understood a little bit more about what you were just implying. You know, it was summer when we looked at the house. Everything was really, really lush. And you saw what you saw. It was beautiful and very green. And you could almost feel the oxygen just melting on your skin. You know, just like, ah. But then come fall and the leaves change and they, they're coming down. All of a sudden, it's not so much what I'm seeing in the forest, but I'm seeing houses I've never seen before. I'm seeing lives that I've never seen before because they were obscured by the trees, which they may have loved on the other side of that. But all it sort of is, is that this constant reminder that there's always something hidden from view. And then there's, where does your attention go, as, as you'd like to say? And I love that because now I'm, I'm much more aware of that. But that if we are to, to walk through this world, to live in this world, and remember that we are nature, that we're not separate from the trees and the water and the flora and the fauna, all those animals, 
then that includes houses and cars and civilization and all of the things that are offshoots of nature. Because every time I sort of, when we were talking about how far do you want to go back, if we go back all the way, everything that has been produced, even those chemical things and the things that we don't consider nature, had to come originally from something natural, from the natural world. And so we create things that then are no longer able to sustain nature, like plastics and other things. But it all had to come from somewhere. How far do we want to go back? The other beauty about the winter, or at least the winter here in Pennsylvania, the winter forest, is that you get to see other things as well, like looking up is always a great idea, right? As we notice how just those very thin branches kind of decorate and blend in the foreground of the, the sky and the clouds, but also you know, I've noticed that in walking, I'm able to see the nests and the mm -hmm. homes of birds and squirrels and, uh, yep, even some hives. From <laughs> and if you're, if you're somewhere where the sky is really big, you're in big sky land, mm -hmm. then it's expansive and it feels infinite and you can almost touch the feeling of the eternal, that infinite experience. But when you're in a place where there are trees and there's, you know, woods and you look up like Teresa just angled the camera up, then the trees actually give form to the sky. They give like emptiness is form, form is emptiness. Like how is it, what is it that we are putting on that, that I'm looking up and I'm seeing little chunks of sky through the branches, but minus those trees, it would just be sky. So to me, the yoga of that is the experience of making those connections, of seeing where the infinite is in our everyday. And the trees give us that. Hi, Trevor. Hey, gorgeous. I have a new friend over here. I love him. <laughs> okay. Hi, Trevor. Um, I just, the other day I was watching the movie Yentl. There are certain things that when they come on, I just have to watch and Yentl, Barbara Streisand, I, this, it just is so indicative of a certain time in my life. But there's a song she sings at the end, which is, you know, Peace of Sky where she says, it all began the day I learned that from my window I could only see a piece of sky. I, and I'm not going to butcher Barbara, but she stepped outside and looked around and, you know, it just, the piece of sky. Why do we settle for the pieces of sky when we know that it's infinite? So that's the question she's asking in that song. So when you're walking and you're looking and you can just see the little bits, can we also see the infinite within the finite? There's a question. That is a, a beautiful <laughs> question because we've turned the camera Thank a you. number of times because, you know, privacy for people who are on the towpath with us as part of the infinite, as part of this day. We're trying to respect their privacy by just tilting the camera for those of you who will be watching. On our left. On, <laughs> on our, our right. on our video that in addition to being part of the collective, to being out here in nature, we're sharing this space with so many amazing humans. We've met two friends as we started walking that um, we haven't seen in a while. We stopped and talked to Trevor the dog and his, his constant his human. friendly human companion and just the passers-by with the occasional Happy New Year or have a nice day is just these little touch points and I'm always always curious when I'm out in the middle of walking kind of in these quiet places why did certain humans 
touched my path that day. Why did Trevor really want to stop and stand next to us? I don't believe in randomness, so I'm thinking that everybody who passes by has a net to share with us, and therefore, with you. And it's not limited to being on the towpath. It's everything. Like, be curious about the people that are in your path every day. You know, who you get to talk to, who you choose not to talk to, you know, and honor that too. I think that, you know, I was on the train not too long ago going into the city, and typically I just put my AirPods in, I take my book out, and I'm doing my thing. But a woman sat down. It was so crowded. It was more crowded. Let's step back a little bit. It was more crowded than it had been in a really long time. And she said, can I sit down? I said, of course you can sit down. I don't, whatever. And we ended up talking the entire way. And how did I know that she was going to be, oh, hello. <laughs> how did I know that she was going to be someone who spoke the language of yoga, who was as curious as I was, who was going through challenges different than mine, but that we could use the same language to, to support each other and create a sense of wonder and resolution. You know, this is the new year and, you know, I don't have an issue with resolutions. It just means to resolve stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I think that we get into these semantic games and words do have power. So this is where I go back and forth. Yes, the words have power and sometimes we give them too much power. You know, if someone says they want to create a resolution for the new year, that's beautiful. Like do that. Set your goals. Have your thing. If some, for some reason, the word resolution just brings up negative things for you, then choose another word. But we don't judge the words as good or bad for, you know, any one thing or another. For ourselves we can, but there's that individual and collective thing again. The message may be the same exact thing. What one person calls a resolution, someone else calls a goal, someone else calls an intention, someone else calls a dream. You know, from by, by any other name would smell as sweet, right? What's in a rose? And so there's the individual and collective there too. We have our individual ways of expressing a message that may be more common and uniting than we think. But every time we judge someone else's word for why they're doing something, we separate ourselves from them. We become other from them. And so I think that in the, the mission to be unified, that we can nod and we don't have to own someone else's words or take them on or use them ourselves, but we can honor them for the intentions for which they're being used. And I think it always comes down to that. And that every time we judge, we separate. And I'm guilty of it too, I, and, which is why I can see it. Yeah. Now that I can see it, I can work with it. Yeah, um, I don't remember who was sharing this story with me, but again, with knowing that it's not mine and it's coming down the line, there was the phrase that uh, might, have, might have been Amy, but there was the phrase of, I don't accept that. So it wasn't a judgment of you said this, you did this, and now I'm going to be really judgmental about your motives and make up my own story to explain why you did this or that, but instead recognize my own personal feelings about any action or words that are being used toward me or around me. And I can simply say without judgment, I'm not going to accept that. And not it was take Elise it Myers. So it was Elise Myers, and oh. I believe I heard her say she had told a bunch of stories, and she said, "I don't receive that. I don't receive that acceptance, whatever. I mean, you can accept or not accept, you know. But mm -hmm. I don't receive it because it was something that, you know, it was sort of personally directed to her, and I thought that is brilliant. Mm -hmm. That is fucking brilliant. You know, you can you can say that. I just don't have to take it. I don't yeah. have to receive it. Yeah, you can have your thoughts and opinions." 
And this is again coming back to some of the practices. I, I can have a practice of non-judgment, and I'm going to say that I have a practice of non-judgment <laughs> because I can find myself in places where I'm feeling like I am being very judgmental, and I have to remind myself that's why it's a practice. But that one sentence, I don't have to receive, really was very comforting to me that just because it's offered, just like a different, uh, any gift, and if I'm offered a gift that I already have and I don't need, I can re-gift it. I don't know that I'm going to re-gift something that made me feel awful, but <laughs> I don't have to accept it either. And But one man gathers what another, another man spills back to the dead. Like, it may not have felt good for you, but for someone else it might be the perfect gift. That's why you re-gift it, not because you want to share misery, but because you know whatever it is that you didn't like, someone else will like, and that you want to give them that joy. The reason I stopped here is I'm looking over at this space. I've ridden my bike here many times, and I have never noticed the amount of erosion that has happened from those houses up there in that fence all the way down. And you can see, I don't know if that's lichen there on the rock over right across the way. You see the uh, yeah, lichen right over there. It. But this is Shiva energy. This is the energy of, of endings, of destruction, of you know what comes next is the space before creation. And so all of this erosion that is happening, look at out of your way. Hey, happy riding. And so here we have, I mean, in nature, we can see all of the cycles. We see the beginnings, we see the preservations, we see the endings. And we even, if we pause, can be in the space between endings and beginnings. And even between all of them, there's space to, to inhabit. But this really struck me as dramatic, uh, the amount of erosion. And I'm sort of worried now about the structures that are up on high, and hopefully they are aware of what's going on here. And look, reflection. We have the reflection of the water. Yeah, you know, all the things that we would like to learn. And right across something I hadn't noticed before, right over here are stones. I have no idea how old those stones are. They look pretty ancient though. I don't think anyone just went in there and, and I don't know, maybe it was to help reinforce, to keep the erosion from hitting the canal too much. Yeah, there's clearly know. a retention wall. Thank that's you, somebody. That's, that's a thing. <laughs> somebody. It's called something and Teresa knows. Thank you, Teresa. You're welcome, that somebody <laughs> created. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we started with talking about our winter in wander walks um, to being out here on the towpath just simply to notice, to commune with nature and to share the message that, yeah, we're on a towpath. There's a lot of nature around us, but nature is everywhere. Taking time to recognize the healing power of things that grow can be as simple as sitting next to a house plant or taking a walk out here on the towpath and noticing all of the amazing things from what winter in January in Bucks County, Pennsylvania looks like, reflections in the water, the bare trees, and the simple little surprises of whatever we notice, noticing what we notice from a retention wall to a place of the earth shifting and moving based on the flow. It looks like maybe the flow of water, but what do I know? <laughs> that creates this erosive pattern to also being able to stand in moments of nothing but simple reflection. Send us pictures. 
Remember, anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. It's really super easy. If you're out on a walk and you love to take pictures like we do, take pictures of things that capture your attention. We want to know. And who knows, maybe at the end of 2023, we'll put together a compilation of those pictures as part of our year look back, and you'll be part of that. You know, tell us your stories. We want to you know, grow this community in a way that we all feel that connection so that when we say that we are in nature, we can be anywhere we are because we are nature. We don't have to separate ourselves. Like Teresa said, you can be in your apartment or your house next to a house plant, or maybe there's some mold growing on the bread in the, in the pantry <laughs> that's been there for a while. I do not speak from personal experience, <clears throat> except for the maggot, uh, no, I'm sorry. But that to remember we are nature. And so if nature is healing, then we really do have all the tools. We do have it all and we're not separate. And so when we talk about nature being healing or being out in nature, what we really mean is wherever we go, there you are. Hello, is that Buckaroo Banzai? And, and that wherever we are in nature, we are because that's where we are. Maybe that's a little bit like imagining your mother's face before she was born or your face before your mother was born. But ask yourself those questions and you know, be curious and listen to the birds call and all the shit that we take for granted. And look at how much space there is to wander. Until next time. Laters. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.